0: and welcome to women at warp a roddenberry star trek podcast join us as our crew of four women star trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise my name's jera and thanks for tuning in today with us we have three other facets of our women at warp crew that's andy hello and sue hey there and grace
1: i'm the saucy one
0: and uh before we get into our main topic we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first today's show is brought to you by text expander more on that later our show is also made possible by our patrons on patreon if you'd like to become a patron you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards like thanks on social media up to silly watch along commentaries and bonus hangouts during the time of isolation So visit www.patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing. Well, I mean, as you might have guessed by this point, our topic for today is the Deep Space Nine episode, Facets. Uh, Does anyone want to give the Cole's Notes version of Cliff Notes version? Do you have Cole's Notes in the States? Yeah,
1: what is that? No, we have Cliff Notes here.
2: And Spark Notes.
1: (laughs) Well, well, what would Cliff say about facets, Grace? He would say this is the episode where Dax gets a chance to go back and talk to a personification of each of her previous hosts and previous personalities, vis-a-vis being them transferred through uh, her crewmates and friends. And she finds out many, many things about every one of her different hosts' Uh, facets, mayhap. Mm.
0: Each one of them makes up a part of her.
1: Yes, they are all parts of a whole. From her
0: standing with her arms behind her back Mm -hmm. to being sort of good at martial arts.
2: And murder.
1: And murder. One is just um, murder personality.
2: One of them is just a dead-eyed murderer.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny how that becomes your whole personality. You only gotta kill one person, and that's your whole deal.
2: (laughs) And also, Na gets ready and uh, does the tests so he can get started on joining the Academy.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah should we talk about the about the nog subplot first because it's awesome but it's not going to be the, the the meat of this episode
1: yes this is our this is our moose boosh
0: yes
2: it's so good yeah it's so good and i love nog and i love jake and i love rom
0: this is a really big growth episode for both nog and rom and i love rom so much in this episode how he's like you know, he's bought him a uniform, even though he's not really allowed to wear it and he's going to get one anyway, but he's just such a proud dad. And then when he threatens Quark because Quark sabotages Nog getting in, and it's just like, Rom is the best dad and he should give worth lessons.
1: This is definitely the point where we get to see Rom growing a backbone, which is great, because he gets to be such an important part of Nog's character arc. And Let's be real. Of all of the characters on Deep Space Nine, Nog has the most intensive arc going for him. Oh, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's... Um, and also Nog... I mean, I will say this makes it
3: look like it's a bit easier to get into the Academy than TNG did.
1: Yeah. Maybe it was just really hard for Wesley to get into the Academy.
3: No, this is... <laughs> but this is not the Academy entrance exam. This is yeah. like a pretest. Yeah, it was like to get into a prep course, right? Right.
1: Oh, so this is like his PSATs to get into Starfleet.
3: Right. This is like his... His scores are good enough on this test that allow him to take the entrance exam in, like, six months or something.
0: The writing of these scenes, like, when Quark and Nog and Jake are talking and he's – like, Quark is trying to encourage him into more capitalist endeavors and, like, you know, Jake has the right idea and Nog's being like, but Jake's going to be a writer. They don't make any money. <laughs> and he's like, on the contrary, like, you could write explicit Hollow Sweet programs and – it's super creepy, but, like, it's very perfectly cork, and the kids are just, like, awkward.
1: Is there an implication here that Jake Sisko could be the Chuck Tingle of of Star Trek?
2: <laughs> He's the one writing the pizza man's dialogue. He seduces the babysitter.
0: If he was a little bit more mercenary. Pizza man cometh.
2: <laughs> and,
0: like, needed money to survive. I
1: mean, that makes it sound so badass, doesn't it? <laughs> Jake Sisko, mercenary freelance writer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just really like it. And it doesn't fully fit with the main plot of this episode, except for kind of just the idea of mentors being important and what they think about you being important and the need to have someone be on your side and how much that helps people to succeed.
1: They are definitely Mm -hmm. both based around the importance of uh, support and personal success. But maybe this piece doesn't fully fit in with the rest of it, or maybe it's just another facet.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <sighs> Gotta milk that
0: one for all it's worth. On the main plot, I apologize, but I need to digress because I found out today that this episode originated with Iris Stephen Bear's desire to do a version of the 1976 TV movie Sybil in the Sphere of Deuces Nine, which was a TV movie starring Sally Field, which was based on a book that basically skyrocketed the perceived legitimacy of multiple personality disorder as a valid psychological disorder. It previously wasn't in the DSM. And it turned out after a while that the woman that this was based on was making a lot of it up and that her psychologist was plying her with barbiturates and other types of medication that probably exacerbated her symptoms basically to make money off of this story. So it is pretty incredible. I was pretty excited that this movie that was super famous and made everyone think that that like multiple personality disorder was a super common thing. And it really
1: cemented the idea of what we – in sort of the pop culture world think of as multiple personality disorder versus the much more complicated way that it actually works.
0: Yeah, this idea that like you would have, you know, a nine-year-old inside you that will pop out and speak in a nine-year-old voice and then you'll have your, you know, Scottish engineer that will speak <laughs> in your Scottish accent and, um, and that you have to reintegrate all these personalities in order to come to terms with your trauma. So I was just very excited to find a Star Trek connection to this random story. But luckily, the way that it came out in Star Trek was very different. And I don't think it all presented in a way that would be stigmatizing from a mental health perspective. So go Star Trek.
1: Also, didn't she, Um, didn't the woman who the story was based off of eventually come out and kind of put out her own account of what the whole situation was, like Memoirs of a Geisha style?
0: Um, she definitely said that she made up parts of it mm-hmm.
1: it's amazing how much we get to talk about um in terms of talking about star trek all these different sort of cultural phenomenon in uh perceptions of concepts like we talked previously about the satanic panic episode and how that became such a huge aspect of modern fear during the 80s and the 90s and it's just amazing how many of those we can gauge through star trek
0: yeah, and that was um that was retrospect which we also did an episode on the Voyager episode. But also worth mentioning at this stage that this will join a fairly hefty collection of Dax episodes that we've done to date including one entirely on Dax, um one that heavily focused on Dax um in, tr- in terms of transness in Star Trek. There was one on Blood Oath and we did one on Rejoined. Yeah, that that is probably just the beginning, but
2: I think it's interesting that you point out that one of the main lenses that you look at transness in Trek through Dax, because this episode, the whole time I was thinking I was thinking that transness is kind of underneath a lot of this, Hmm. like this idea that your body doesn't necessarily match sometimes and like that there can be multiple ways that people perceive themselves and it's not always gendered. I don't know, I just thought it was really interesting, and I can definitely see why Dax has become kind of an icon to the trans community.
1: Also that gender identity and gender expression can have a lot of facets.
3: (laughs) (laughs) But, well, actually on that, I think the only time that they explicitly tell us that a host is in a body that is not the same gender as the host was... I hope I said that all correctly, is with Quark. And it is, it seems to me anyway, to be intended to be humorous. Oh, yeah. Um, Right? Because they they basically just want to make Armin Shimmerman, you know, act very effeminate. And I like, I'm kind of sad about that. Like, I know we're talking 20 plus years ago for this, but like, it shouldn't have been a big deal.
2: The other thing is, is it's kind of uncomfortable to watch Dax almost, like, seduce him into doing it. Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah, that is another problem. Yeah, let's
0: talk about this whole Dax-Quark situation.
2: I do think it's really cute that they have, like, this bond, especially Mm -hmm. since most of the Starfleet people have, like, this view of Quark that's mostly negative. And so it's nice to see, like, their friendship. It's just uh, the underpinnings of their friendship is kind of icky.
1: So we repeatedly see this idea of Dax be having this friendship with the Ferengi, where she's kind of one of the guys, but there's an undercurrent of, she's one of the guys, but all the guys involved want to sleep with her. Mm-hmm. And that's uncomfortable, for many obvious reasons, and also for the fact that Dax is so much more than just the sexy girl character. She's got a lot going on for her and the fact that they keep going back to that as kind of the running thing is unfortunate.
2: Well, and then in this particular scene, I actually find Dax to be the gross one.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's she's the one who's making it a sexy thing right now.
2: Well, it's not only that, it's that Quark is expressing discomfort with his body being used for something that he's not comfortable with. And she kind of convinces him to to go through with it anyway using sex
3: in front of people yeah, publicly like fondling him essentially and Mm
2: -hmm. then she knows that he's gonna be uncomfortable with having this extremely feminine woman in his body he expresses discomfort again while they're having their scene together and so and there's this moment right after that where cisco's like isn't this a girl person and she's like "Uh uh-huh and they like ha 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 so they know he's gonna be uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. it so like I actually find it kind of this is a situation
1: where she's taking advantage of him and all parties could have definitely benefited from talking about personal comfort and safety ahead of time for this whole thing yeah
0: like I feel like you know basically for example the one that Bashir is playing who's Tarius, I think It's totally forgettable. (laughs) And it could have been a really cool choice to be like, Bashir, I want you to play Audred and to have him, you know, do the starry-eyed Starfleet thing about like, this would be what an amazing opportunity. Like, I will never get the idea or the sense of like what that would feel like. And they could have presented it in that way that was more open-minded instead of just like,
1: lols.
2: Well, and I just always, I have this really strong thing about people's nose being respected. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, he says no. And when mm-hmm. you say no, especially when something this personal, like he's going to give up his bodily autonomy. That's not your cue to convince him. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No
1: does not mean convince me in, in any context.
2: Exactly. So and pretty much everything about Dax and Quirk in this episode just kind of skeeves me out, even though I really do like that they have a loving relationship in a lot of ways, and Quirk does want to help her, and she does trust him, and I think that's wonderful. I just think that they thought this would be funny, mm-hmm. so they kind of push that without thinking about the dynamics involved.
3: Yeah, I just, I guess I should clarify. Like, I feel like for the writers, the gender thing should not have been a big deal. But if any of the people in that room said no, that should be respected. And that could have been a part of this episode.
1: Well, there's also the fact that this episode, as a concept, does kind of point out the male to female character ratio we have on Deep Space Nine. So we see them bringing in, just out of nowhere, them being like, oh yeah, she's been hanging out with Lita. Lita is totally a a recurring character now, even though we've only seen her like once.
0: And they they said explicitly that that was because they didn't want to make more than one man play a woman character. Because apparently you can only milk that joke once. And I mean, it would have definitely drawn attention to the fact that, yeah, there aren't a lot of regular women on this show. They're like, oh, yeah, there's supposed to be three women in previous hosts and we only have Kira? Oh, crap. And they tried to get Rosalind Chow as Keiko. But the actress wasn't available that week. So they're like, well, she's friends with Lita now.
1: (laughs) I
2: mean, good for Chase. Good for Chase. Although I will say that Lita's inclusion was super cute. Like she was so cute in this episode.
1: Adorable. Yeah,
2: for sure. And I really love this idea that Lita is like studying Trill culture just on her Mm -hmm. own, just because she finds it interesting. And then at one point she's like, yeah, sociology is really helpful as a Dabo girl. Hell yes, it probably is. And I just like that. Look at Lita with all of her facets. <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> she really was very cute. Yeah.
3: But they certainly could have like the she Dex says the line. You're the people I'm the closest to on this station. And it's just and you all happen to be main characters. Yeah. Like they yeah. they could have had another one off, right? Somebody just we've we we have not met before. If they mm-hmm. really wanted to do
1: this. Then they wouldn't have gotten the fun of a body swap episode, would they?
3: Sure. But they also could have made one of the the points of this discussion be like, no, I'm not comfortable with this. And have Dax's reaction be, that's cool. I totally get it. Thank you for hearing me out.
1: Or Dax trying to find someone who is comfortable with this idea. And now it's wrong.
3: Yeah. And now it's wrong.
1: Like Morn. It could have been Morn. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She could have been just sitting there and having Morn brush her hair. It would have been
0: actually great if it was Morn and you didn't see what happened. But you're just like, yeah, Morn's going to play Tarius. And then you just see Morn go in and like his head go down and then it cuts to the next one and and <laughs> she's like, wow, I've never heard Morn talk so much
1: or something. Like, it's like in Community where we just cut directly to the aftermath of it be like, oh my gosh, that was so emotional. I can't believe how connected we are now. <laughs> Morn walks out and he's just crying.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, <sighs> uh, I will say though that uh, so you you mentioned that what is Trias is kind of forgettable. I will say, though, that it was very fun to watch the actors have fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, it did look like they were having fun with this.
2: It was very clear that they were like, hell yeah, this is kind of like those um actor exercises that they make them do in, like, acting class. They're like, okay, <laughs> now you're this person. Now you're that person. And it really is quite fun to watch actors do that because, Good actors will change their whole body, and it's fascinating to watch.
1: Yeah, except Avery Brooks looks like he was having a little too much fun with it.
2: He was so good, though. Yeah, he was just eating that role.
3: Nana was a different person from the time she lifted her head up. Yeah, yeah,
2: her whole body changed, like her shoulders hunch. you know. I love watching those transformations, and they all honestly kind of creep me out a little bit in a good way.
1: It's always fun to be thrilled by someone's versatility.
2: Well, it's just like, oh, shit, like, that's not Kira. There's this moment where you're just like, that's a totally different person. And the people that can successfully do that are masters of the craft.
0: Tobin, who O'Brien was Tobin, I think. He was even more forgettable than Tarius. I just had to look up who it was. Toraeus was the one who was, like, awkward and Canadian,
1: right? (laughs) (laughs) Awkward Canadian trill. I always remember Tobin
3: because they talk about math. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Mm-hmm. Nerd.
3: But no, they – okay, so I understand that people pronounce things differently, but they say Fermat's Last Theorem like 15 times, and every mm-hmm. math class I've ever been in, it's been Fermat. Don't pronounce the T at the end, and it makes me climb up the wall. Like, it, it makes <laughs> – the hair stand up on the back of my neck every time I hear it.
0: So is the guy French? Is that... I don't know.
2: <laughs> Sue likes math, not languages, okay?
3: Yes, he was French. Pierre de Fermat.
2: Sue's French corner.
3: <laughs> Unless they aren't
0: talking about him and they're talking about Mr. Mott's brother, Fermat.
1: <laughs> um, I it's a big it. family. They're all far flung across the
3: galaxy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, possibly, but I mean, probably not also.
0: (laughs) What are you saying? Bullions can't do math? What? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
3: Well, it just, it, it makes me think that somebody in the writer's room was like, let's search for a math thing. And didn't know what it actually was.
2: That's exactly what happened, Sue. Did a 90s Google.
0: They probably took it in high, like, or heard it referred to in a college class or in high school, pronounced wrong. And just was like, yeah, let's talk about this thing that I learned in class that my teacher didn't know how
1: to pronounce. Isn't that how they ended up with gigawatts being pronounced gigawatts in Back to the Future?
0: Isn't
3: that how we ended up with Mr. Data? (laughs) if If you're gonna make a show for nerds, say the nerd thing right. That's all. I'm done.
1: <laughs> it just got nerd real for a minute.
2: That, that should be our tagline. Women at Warp, if you're going to make a show for nerds.
1: <laughs> I don't know
3: that I want to commit to correct pronunciation on everything.
2: <laughs> I definitely don't because I pronounce everything wrong.
3: <laughs> I mean, if anybody is a math nerd, it's a fascinating theorem and I suggest you look it up. It's like number theory is awesome, but not the point. So the two really prominent
0: hosts in this episode are Duran and Curzon. But before we get to that, we need to take a quick break to tell you about Text Expander. We've mentioned Text Expander a couple of times. They are supporting this episode, which we think is amazing. And we're going to expand on that. Yes. So one thing that is awesome about Text Expander, which is basically like I was saying to Andy before the show, you know, it's like, how your phone auto always autocorrects to duck. But you can, if you know how to go in and re-engineer it, you can stop your phone from doing that. But what if you wanted to fix all of those things that your phone does, that your computers do, and create shortcuts so that if you're typing something regularly more than three times, you can make it what Text spender calls a snippet and let them type it for you. So in our case, we could make it so that every time you type V-O-Y and then hit the slash button, it'll populate it to Star Trek colon Voyager all in the proper cases so that every time we're writing blog posts or episode descriptions, we don't have to type all of those titles of shows out or, you know, say we're always incorrectly spelling out is there is it is there in truth, no beauty? Or is there no truth in beauty? Uh Sometimes I have to check. So text expander can save you time on all those things. They also have groups of snippets that you can take that other people have made public, including Star Trek quotes, which we've talked about before, can correct some common mistakes in other languages. They also have webinars and things for new users so that you can get up to speed and learn how to really use it like a pro. So Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, and show listeners get 20% off their first year. You can just visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. Just visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. And for 20% off your first year, find Women at Warp in the drop-down menu, and so they know that, that we sent you.
1: And remember, you don't just have to write down Luxwana. You can have it autofill to Luxwana Troy, daughter of the Fifth House, holder of the Sacred Chalice of Rix, heir to the Holy Rings of Z. It's just that easy. Exactly.
0: Ugh, these things are so important. <laughs> they are. They are. But next, Duran. We already mentioned him a little bit, but how do people feel about this?
2: So, I love it. It's super eerie and creepy and wonderful. But I have mixed feelings on where they took it because on the one hand, I was kind of excited that they didn't go the obvious route and then like later in the episode, suddenly Cisco's a psycho again. Mm-hmm. And then also disappointed that At the end of the episode, is this going to become a psycho again? Like, because you feel like there should be more. It starts to, like, when they bring him up, and when he's in the episode, it feels like this is the main conflict of the episode. The tension is there, you feel like this is going to be the focus of the episode, and then he's just like, okay, bye! And then he's gone. It's
1: very inter- interesting how we, when we had the episode establishing Jorian, we have this kind of complicated story about how this was a whole person, but it was a person who did something bad. So there was shame of this person and he was repressed and hidden. But in this, he's basically just Hannibal Lecter. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but I love it! <laughs>
1: And they actually
0: had to reshoot because when they watched the dailies, Avery Brooks was too creepy the first time. I want
3: to see the too creepy dailies.
1: Release the Brooks cut. Show us how too creepy he got.
3: (laughs) But they, whenever they talk about him at the start of this episode, oh, the musician who became a murderer. Yeah. But like any time that that we, spoilers, see him again. (laughs)
1: He's just this. Murder is his personality. Yeah,
3: he's just yeah. this like maniacal criminal. Yeah. And he, yeah, and it wasn't like he was a serial
0: killer of random strangers. No. Which is not to say killing anyone is good. No,
1: but... <laughs> we we as a podcast are pretty anti-murder, pretty I'd anti-vet. say. Pretty that yeah.
2: Are you sure? Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that he is a serial killer that's on Mindhunter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> True Detective Deep Space Edition. Definitely from
0: this episode. And then it raises the question... Why did they have to do this facet with him? And I kind of wish that there had been more of a complicated payoff, that maybe, like, that partly took – maybe that took over, but that it started out as less of a I-want-to-kill-you conversation. Like, maybe he's really hurt that he's in a cell and doesn't understand. Yeah,
1: we got kind of a beautiful ending with the episode of Joran with – Dax embracing this as a part of who she is. And now it's...
2: I'm gonna strangle you! Exactly,
1: yeah. It's kind of two <laughs> steps back, isn't it? <laughs> but it's so good. <laughs> I, I do like how she kicks his ass. But yeah, yeah. What's not to like?
3: I think it's interesting that at the very beginning where she's explaining this ritual to all of them, she says, you can reassert yourself at any time. But mm-hmm. Cisco doesn't
1: he's having too much fun (laughs) cisco wants to see where this goes
3: (laughs) cisco doesn't and audrid in quark says you know the the person whose body this is wants to say something so Mm. it seems that that statement that judzia says to them of you can reassert yourself at any time is not actually accurate they seem to need the permission of the the host even though mm-hmm. they're the host,
1: so Dax wasn't just playing Quark. Dax was kind of smoothing over some details to everyone involved here.
0: It also raises a lot of questions, just about like, are do Trill have latent telepathic abilities, or just the Guardians? Do they have a device that allows this to do it? How come they're more telepathic with than, with Ferengi than Loxana Troy? and changelings
1: by the way raises so many questions okay so many questions
2: when they were doing the first the first transfer thing i heard sue's science corner in my head because i was like (laughs) how and then i decided i didn't care but also, how, like, he's just like, ooh, spooky. <laughs> <And> then, like, <laughs> suddenly, he's transferring consciousnesses with, like, some chanting and hand waving, and I. They're
1: doing it. a trill mind
2: meld? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't.
1: But.
0: but only with that one part of the host, and only for a limited period of time, and the, the Guardian doesn't necessarily need to be there to break it off. Or
3: even be in the same room while it's continuing. Maybe it's the symbiont that is sometimes telepathic. That's
1: possible. Like
3: Yeah, that would make more sense.
0: Yeah.
2: I really don't care. But also it made me laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up! <laughs> <laughs> because it's just one of those things that, like, nah, that doesn't hold up. No, no. All right, cool, I'm in, keep going. Like, it- I was
0: like, they could have at least given us, like, a
2: crystal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on! Where's the crystal? They, they should have done, like, is it Spock's brain that they do the big, like, thing that they put on their head? <laughs> the headband? <laughs> yeah, do that shit. Like, that's more believable than just, woo.
1: If you're going to do some half-assed sci-fi hand-waving, at least make it a spectacle.
2: (laughs) At least make some props. Okay.
1: More
3: dry ice, please.
2: (laughs) I mean, this was
3: towards the end of the season. They might have been running out of money.
1: (laughs) They they might have been just running out of steam creatively.
0: (laughs) Well, they did have enough money for Michael Westmore to uh, get a photograph of the actor who played Curzon in Emissary and digitally morph it onto Odo's mask to make the Curzon mask, which is pretty badass. And go Michael Westmore. I
1: do really appreciate that. And I appreciate getting to see Odo a different person for a while in terms of he gets to use his shape-shifting for fun, which he doesn't really do.
2: Okay, so one last thing about about, uh, what's his face? the Duran. Hannibal. Jerisco. And then, and then we can move on to Curzon, which is obviously the meat of this episode. But I do want to say that I find it absolutely tremendously hilarious, and I love it so much, that they have this sociopath dead-eyed, shark-eyed sociopath who tries to strangle Jezia, and he's not the worst person in this episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bar! The bar keeps jumping.
2: And there's your segue into Curzon.
1: Yep. Uh, Curzon. Again, definite definite props to René Aubergenois for embodying this idea of getting to be a different person through character acting. He he does it very well. That said, the character of Curzon, garbage. Uh, he...
3: I definitely like how they they took this idea and and said well he's Odo is going to react differently to this because of his form because he yeah. is a changeling. Mm-hmm. And I think it is is kind of neat the route they took with them becoming more like a joined trill mm-hmm. than with a, a different consciousness taking over a body.
2: Yeah. But I also want to point out that the Guardian after he does his spooky woo-woo is like, it's probably fine. Yeah. And they just
3: <laughs> They're not
2: worried they, about
0: it. It's cool. They just move on. Well and like Cisco's like, so what what happens if he can't if he doesn't go back? And the Guardian's like,
2: nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's probably fine.
0: That seems like a real cushy job. I did appreciate that they weren't really escalating it to ridiculous, even more ridiculous situation.
2: I mean, it's
1: pretty ridiculous already, isn't it?
0: They weren't like, Dax will lose one eighth of her hair.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but so this, as you said, is the where the real conflict of this episode comes in. And we find out that because Curzon flunked her out of this initiate program and then she reapplied, that she's always doubted herself and thought she didn't measure up. Mm-hmm. Lo and behold, we discover that Curzon flunked her out of the initiate program because he was in love with her.
2: No, he wasn't. <laughs> That's bullshit. He wanted to bang her. Yeah. That's all. He thought she was hot and she made him Ugh. feel feelings. Yeah. The end. How That's dare she? That's not love. And she no. was,
3: what, a teenager?
2: Yeah. yeah. Gross creepy.
0: Okay, I wrote down many lines from from their uh scenes and the scenes between Dax and Cisco talking about it, but like where he goes, "You were a brilliant and beautiful young woman. Very beautiful." <gasps> and it's like, "Okay, so we all know you weren't interested in her brains. You weren't like
1: very brilliant." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice emphasis there Cruzon.
0: And he also says something else about looks. Earlier on, doesn't he? Oh, Cassidy. He says like Cassidy is a fine-looking woman, instead of like Cassidy is a great fit for you, Ben.
2: Well, that whole scene with Cisco and Curzon was so achy, and I was like, really, Cisco? This is your bro? This is your mentor, Cisco?
1: Cisco, you can do better.
2: Yes, do better.
0: Well, I mean, apparently, Renea Chavaria. And R. Stephen Bear both weren't really very happy with how Curzon came across.
1: According to Echeverria, if I had to do it over again, I would have been more careful about his character. He was almost always drinking or talking about drinking. Bear, for his part, says, The way Curzon came across was by no means the way I saw the character. I saw him as a kind of bon vivant. Instead, he was like Shecky Curzon, a wacky, funny guy. And, And they're right. They're absolutely right. The the character we see isn't the character that's been previously described to us.
2: I mean, I get that they're trying to portray him as, like, fun-loving. But he's just really selfish. Mm-hmm. Okay, so
1: so thought here. Because basically what this episode did with writing Curzon is the same thing it did with writing Joran. And it wrote kind of a... In turning them each into a weird kind of parody of a previous personality. So now we gotta ask ourselves... We ha- uh if have we really seen any of the actual personalities in this episode or did we just see a weird caricature of them? Is Dax in, yeah. is all of this in Dax's head? Is this just her perception of her previous personalities? What?
0: Well, and then what part is Jedzia? because almost everything we know about her personality was identified
1: in one of those previous hosts. Yeah.
2: She was really beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> she was the
1: perfect blank slate.
3: Well, even when <laughs> when when she says to Whoever chases, I think it's that that conversation where she says, "You know, I'm a master of Klingon martial arts," and the they ask back, "Well, did you take that up after you were joined or before?" And like, yeah. be- it it feels like because Jedediah started that after she was joined, that the other host is invalidating that experience,
0: or at least being like, "Oh, that was actually me." Right.
3: I, I think that
0: would cause like. Actually, I, I mean, I really appreciated the kind of imposter syndrome subplot or, like, line thread in this episode. And, like, you know, Dax is so awesome. So to know that she has self-doubts and to see that they were caused by, like, a mediocre white guy, I was <laughs> like, I'm i am into this dynamic mm. in this episode. But um, that would cause major issues if you found out, like... Literally, the way you sit every day actually was never really part of you all along.
1: Well, let me put it to you this way. Um, Have you ever accomplished something and then had like an older relative be like, oh, yeah, she got that from me sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's what that kind of reminded me of in terms of sometimes when you do cool stuff, people in your family will try and take credit for being the ones to instill that in you. And it's kind of a yeah, sure moment.
2: So I I feel like. I agree with you, Jared, that the imposter syndrome stuff like really resonated, and I, I totally get that. like That feeling that you got where you got because of luck, or because you fooled everyone, and, and like if anybody looks closer, they're going to figure it out, that you're not actually mm-hmm. supposed to be there. And I think that a lot of people feel that way, and especially a lot of women feel that way. Mm-hmm. So like I found that to be the most resonant theme. And I just kind of wish that they had kind of pushed back on it a little bit in in the way that, like, no, let's see more about what makes Dax Dax. Mm-hmm. From the Jadzia perspective. You know, and they kind of did that in the sense that they had Cisco be the one be like, no, you are wonderful, you do deserve this. Your mentor was bad, and showing what a good mentor would have done for her. And I appreciated that, and I appreciated their dynamic, but it would have been nice if instead of Cisco being the one to do that she had done that for herself mhm because it kind of just goes from oh you had a shitty mentor who was a man to now you have a good mentor who is a man but you still need a mentor who's a man
0: mhm mhm well and ultimately like you're the one who has to make him feel better mhm cuz he's ashamed
1: men feelings are ladies responsibilities
0: yeah I, I did love the quote, though, where, that Cisco has where he's saying, like, let me tell you something about Curzon. He was my friend. He was my confidant. In a way, he was my teacher as well. But he was also manipulative, selfish, and arrogant. Most people let him get away with it because he was so charming. Sometimes I let him get away with it, too. But from time to time, he'd push me too far, and I'd have to stand up to him and tell him he crossed the line. And I was like, holy crap, how many of us know guys, like, in... Your personal or professional world, but I personally know a few in my, like, previous professional lives who are very much that guy who gets away with treating yep. other people like crap because they're, like, fun and charming and project to this ridiculous confidence. And meanwhile, like, all of these people, like, women and other, like, people from marginalized groups that have kind of come in their path are the ones that are like, what's wrong with me?
2: Yeah. He's a habitual line stepper.
3: That behavior is not solely that of men, of course.
1: Mm-hmm. It's celebrated in men though.
3: But I mean there are, are certainly I have certainly experienced like women and and other marginalized people who are like that, but it mm-hmm. is very I, or at least in my experience much more common in the type of person we refer to as the mediocre white man. <laughs> And, and when we're talking
0: about imposter syndrome, like we often – this often comes up in the workplace and there's studies that have documented that, for example, women will downplay their experience on their resumes, whereas women or men are more likely to play up their experience and in interviews to basically, you know, posture confidence about skills that they don't necessarily have the same qualifications on. And women are more likely to be like, I don't know, maybe I'm not good enough at this. And that, I think, plays into some of those types. So they're not, you know, inherent to any gender, but they tend to be skewed more that way because of the way that we're socialized.
2: And also, it kind of echoes the, I guess, cultural trope of the brilliant guy who treats everyone like crap.
0: Mm. Oh, like all of the
1: scientists in
0: TNG.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're brilliant, so they're allowed to be assholes.
1: But if they were a woman, they'd just be considered an asshole.
0: Like the guy that takes over Data's body,
3: the dying
1: scientist?
3: Exactly the same. I mean, this is another unpopular opinion, even though we (laughs) did that episode already. But that's why I hate Sherlock.
2: Oh, I hate Sherlock, too.
3: Hate it. I'm not a huge fan. Hate it.
2: (laughs) If y'all want to see a modern version of Sherlock that's not horrible, you should watch Elementary. Woo!
1: Because bonus, Lucy Liu.
2: Lucy Liu as Watson is a revelation, but the thing that I love about Elementary is they let him grow as a person and realize he can't treat people like that and, like, become better.
0: Or you can just go back and watch the TNG Sherlock
1: Holmes-themed episodes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, do what you will. Do
1: what you will. It's your life. Live it. But there
0: definitely is this idea, and it's perpetuated in Star Trek and in other culture, including Sherlock, that, like, a guy who is super smart and Big Bang Theory, I would argue, would be another example. House. Yeah, that they're entitled or they get a lot more slack for behaving in ways that are really toxic.
1: I'm trying to remember which, God, which magazine it was that put out an article where the gist of it was Fire your Ricks. In terms of Rick from <laughs> Rick and Morty yes. being your brilliant guy who is an asshole, but insists that everything has to be done by him because he's the only one qualified and that he doesn't have to treat anyone as an equal or dole out any equal responsibility to other people's because he's the only one knowing how any of this is working and how mm-hmm. that can lead to such a toxic workplace and how if you get that guy out of there, you get a toxic element out and you do get a lot of people struggling to find their footing because no one can fully fill that role immediately. But after a while, if other people learn how to take on that responsibility mutually and on an equal level, you'll all be able So much better off in terms of hospitable workplace.
2: And with Curzon, like, I don't see it. I don't see why he (laughs) is supposedly so much better than Jadzia, but like, her perception of him is like this great man that has Mm -hmm. the ability and status to judge her and to judge her worthiness. And I just am like, girl, you are so much better than this dude.
0: Also, the way that they keep saying, like, you were in love with him or you were in love with me. And that is, like, really a nicer way of saying it that's supposed to put the sympathy back on him instead of you kicked her out of a thing because you had the hots for her. Because you couldn't control yourself. Yeah. And, like, literally the only thing that stopped it from being sexual harassment is that you kicked her out of the program. So that you couldn't sexually harass her.
2: And we haven't even gotten to the point that it's really creepy that this dude is a part of her forever now. Yeah, yeah
0: I know. And then and she's like, but I love you. And we were meant to be together with, through Dax. And that is like, ooh. I'd be like, please stay in Odo. And then Odo go somewhere else.
1: I mean, I know it's important to love yourself. But... This
3: this is, like, mm. ridiculous school dress codes, though, right? Yeah. Like, you're yeah. policing the girls in the situation because the boys can't control themselves.
1: Or mm-hmm. because it's easier to control the girls than it is to admit you need to control the boys.
0: Like, she wasn't like, why didn't you assign me a different, whatever, like, screener person? Like, there should have been – he doesn't ever really have to take any accountability. All he does is have to admit to the thing that he finds shameful, but he doesn't have to be, like – Here's what I should have done differently because that wasn't respectful to you.
3: Mm-hmm. And also, when you applied it, let me off the hook. When yeah. you reapplied it, let me. Doesn't he literally say that?
1: Ugh.
0: Ugh.
2: Ugh. Gross.
0: And then he instead he's going around being like, oh, I felt sorry for you and like reinforcing her inferiority.
2: And he would have let her keep thinking that even though he yeah. knows firsthand how much damage it's doing to her self-esteem.
1: He's part of her. He yeah. knows exactly how much damage that does to her. Do we need to just take a collective groan moment here? Uh, yeah.
2: You know it's bad when the Hannibal guy is <laughs> less damaging to her psyche than this dude.
3: <laughs> but yeah, but she she's the one who has to make the conciliatory gesture.
2: Yeah, it's all
1: uh, the onus is always put on the woman, man. It's like Leah Brahms, man. Yeah,
0: it's like, oh yeah, you're right. I was the one who has something to make you. I need to make you feel more comfortable. Oh, no, you
2: don't. Oh, my God. No. Okay, can we talk about Odo and Curzon and how yes. I do not buy at all that Odo was like, yeah, totally, I want to live like this forever.
1: I think it was a novelty for Odo. It was like, a, oh, this is a fun thing to try out, but I don't buy him being like, yeah, I'm down for this forever. Yeah, I don't buy that either. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And the thing is, is like, they were like, oh, yeah, it's emerging. I didn't see any of Odo. Yeah. I saw Curzon with Odo's memories. That's what I saw. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. An, an odd obsession with Quark. <laughs>
1: That that's definitely Odo right there.
0: <laughs> Those two types are really kind of incompatible in some ways, like just the way that Curzon was being played with what we know about Odo to this point, that you know, he's so much about control and discipline.
1: See, if they had stayed joined together, they would have come into a one man odd couple situation. Hmm.
0: I can buy that he enjoyed for a period of time having an excuse to have no control and no discipline, yeah. but I think that that would have been existentially terrifying longer term.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no kidding.
3: Well, at the very end, the little wrap-up scene, I I believe that he is grateful for the experiences. Yeah. That he wouldn't have had or wouldn't have known how to even go about attempting, you know, without Curzon. And then Jedzia also now has... Memories of what it is to be a changeling, which is kind of cool.
1: Well, let's be honest. All of us have had some point in our life where we stopped and we're like, "No, man, I could, I could move to Barbados. I could, I could live on the beach. I, I could totally do that." And then you have to be like, "No, I couldn't do that." So I think that's what this was for Odo, him just being like, "Yeah, what? I could do that. I could do that." And uh, no, I, I shouldn't do that.
2: (laughs) I don't know. I feel like Curzon is just one of those types that's super overwhelming. And so people don't know how to push back on that. Because yeah, that's, in, the, that's the jive I'm getting here. In general, people are always trying to be polite and accommodating. And so when yep. you have someone that pushes that, most people will not push back. This is what yep. I've learned about personalities. So there are the people that will throw up the hard boundary, but there are more people that will let you walk right over them as long as they don't have to confront anyone.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And Curzon is just charming enough and just distracting enough that I can see him doing that. Like yeah. his whole "more wine, look over there" that mm-hmm. that whole thing, like. I have met dudes like this mm-hmm. um, and they're expert at deflecting and they're an expert at manipulation and you don't even really know what's happening because you're so overwhelmed.
0: Yeah, they're like a hurricane and you're like trying to decide basically I can either get drawn in or I can stay the hell away. And I think most people stay the hell away, including myself in history. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but now I'm, I'm really grateful because now I can just think of When I see these people, I can be like, "Oh, you're such a curzon," (laughs) and they won't know what I'm saying, and it's gonna be great. (laughs) I'm not gonna say it to their face; they'll be like, "What nerd?" (laughs) (laughs) I also do love when she does confront him. Just the like, I don't think it ends well in terms of the messages that it sends, but I I like her actually having to stand up and be like, "You can't intimidate me. I'm not a little girl anymore." Um, and I think that that is a powerful example to demonstrate. Like, I don't really like where they took it, but. If this was a similar situation to, you know, say, you know, you feel this way about yourself, you feel like you're an imposter, you feel like you're not good enough, that's not true. And you have the power within you to stand up to people that make you feel that way. I think that's a great message.
2: I think this is a good episode that could have been great.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's also interesting that, I mean, they clearly have the ability to remove a host's memories from a symbiont, but they consider Duran to be, of course, dangerous as a murderer, but they don't permanently remove him.
0: Yeah, they just, like, repressed them. So, well, I guess it's retconning, right? Because when they did the repression, they didn't have the ability to remove them. Mm. Also, they would have had to find a
1: consenting host, probably. Excuse me, can we put a serial killer in your brain? (laughs) Oh, he's not a serial killer.
0: He's just a killer of one dude, right? It's just one guy, (laughs) really. (laughs) It's just one. Sorry, I keep sounding like I'm defending murderers here. Sorry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if that's something that Judzia would have to, like, sign off on. Hey, you passed. You're gonna get a symbiont. By the way, murder.
2: (laughs) cool add that under the miscellaneous notes check y or n
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean it's like as long as i don't get that creep that keeps giving me lascivious looks over at the trill center
2: (laughs) (laughs) trying to get me back rubs on while i'm sitting at my (laughs) desk
0: oh man well shall we rate this episode
2: yeah let's rate it who wants to go first andy I would give this episode four out of five impressive cartwheels from Lita. (laughs) Grace? I give this uh, episode
1: three out of five facets. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Sue?
3: Seven out of ten murders.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's only seven murders. It's not ten, okay? So it's not really that bad.
0: I'm going to give it seven out of ten uh, Garrick made uniforms. Aww, Aww. So sweet. Yeah. From Daddy Rom. He's
3: cosplaying. Oh!
0: <laughs> I love when Cisco's like, you're a little premature there. And he's like, but my dad gave it to <laughs> me. <laughs> so cute.
1: go <Cisco, gasps> for uh, once in your life,
0: be
3: cool. Oh, I miss Aaron. Yeah. yeah. And Renee.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: <sighs> they both turned in excellent performances in this episode.
1: They really did. Very much. They turned in and turned it out. Well,
0: if there are no final thoughts, uh, Sue, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me
3: on Twitter at spelltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And
0: Grace?
1: You can find me on Twitter
3: at BonecrusherJank. Andy?
2: You can find me on Twitter at FirstTimeTrek.
0: And I'm Jara, and you can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit women at warp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at women at warp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening.